Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, we encourage you to go to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com. That's B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E dot com. Uh, we're here Monday through Friday, typically, uh, from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository teaching in the Word of God. And presently, we're uh, in the, embroiled in the midst of a study on the unveiling or the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've not been with us in the past, uh, never fear, we're on class 41 in the 11th chapter. But we make these classes available to you for a free download from our website. If you go to our website at www.biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute. You'll see a little embedded uh, player that you can download the classes in. Presently, I believe there's 26 on it. We'll have, uh, this weekend, we'll have all the way up probably to 40, uh, 39, actually, I guess it would be, available to you. Uh, Deb will be on that as I'm formatting those for her. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Anyway, those will be available to you for free download. There's no registration or anything on that or any cost to you whatsoever. Take them, put them on your iPod, your MP3 player, whatever it is. Burn them on a disc, listen to them in your car. Uh, give you something to, uh, to study. Uh, we will not, for you guys that are listening to us live, I said typically Monday through Friday, we will not be on on Friday, tomorrow, or on Monday because I'll be traveling. I'll be in, in New Orleans in some preparation for our outreach there planned for February 20th through the 24th, which is going to be our 14th annual Mardi Gras outreach to the city of New Orleans. We've been taking teams in since uh, I pastored in Texas in 96 into the city of New Orleans for a week, basically to preach on the streets during Mardi Gras. And so if you want more information on that, go, go to our website again, biggrace.com, click on Mardi Gras outreach. We'd love to have you out there on the streets with us in the city of New Orleans. There's no cost to you for that. You come, uh, get to the city, uh, ready to preach the gospel and share the love of Jesus with people, and uh, we'll give you a place to stay. Three meals a day, local transportation, tracts, Bibles, whatever it is that need to facilitate the, the work of the ministry there. We'd like to hear from you. And if you've got questions about that, uh, email me, raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com, and give you more information on that. Also, that... Uh, what do you call it? Email address, I guess it would be called. <laughs> At email address, raven at biggrace.com. If you have questions concerning the, the teaching on the revelation or input that you'd like to give, send your questions and uh, comments to raven at biggrace.com. I'd love to, uh, to talk about any of those things that are relative to our study here live with you. Or if it's something else you just want to know from Scripture, some, uh, uh, some request uh, some more insight or whatever it is that we could help out, we'd love to do that. Ravenatbigrace.com. Also, if you have prayer requests, send your prayer request to pray, P-R-A-Y, pretty easy there, at biggrace.com. We want to be standing with you in prayer. We're just uh, in, right in the midst of a uh, season of prayer and fasting and just believing God to do some tremendous things. And we've been seeing it and just uh, watching the hand of God move, uh, not just in our circumstances, but in our lives. And, folks, that's really what it comes down to. God, change my heart, change my life. Don't just change what I do, but change who I am. And so if you have a prayer request, whatever it may be, healing, restoration of relationships, whatever it might be, we want to stand with you in prayer. We know that if two or three agree is touching anything here on earth, uh, that the same is done in heaven. And so we believe in that prayer of agreement with the body of Christ standing together in faith. So send those prayer requests. Raven, uh, pray at biggrace.com. 
questions, raven at biggrace.com. And go check out the website sometime you get a chance, biggrace.com. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today and ask for his uh, leading and direction and his uh, anointing upon this time. That he just give us a mind to understand. You know, we give a lot of information here in a short amount of time. And probably sometimes you think your head's going to pop just because of it and you're writing frantically. But I believe that when we just kind of saturate ourselves with the Word of God, that that Word gets into our heart and gets into our spirit and it begins. You'll see, I think you'll, you'll see those things coming up later on. You'll think, man, where did I get that from? You'll remember, oh, I remember hearing that. I remember us in that discussion on a particular thing. So I really encourage you in this to just let the, the Spirit of God minister and fill you. And it'll be something that you draw from, not just today, but you'll draw from in the future as well. Father, we just come to you in the name of your son Jesus. Father, that's our access, Lord God. It's not Muhammad, Lord God. It's not Krishna. It's no other name but the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to send your own son, that you came down, Lord God, in the form, Lord God, of, 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 of the flesh of men. Father, and dwelt among us, Lord God, and you hung upon a cross and you died, Lord God. You, you gave your life vicariously, Lord God, for the sins of mankind. And, and that payment, Lord God, will be appropriated to anyone that receives you, Lord Jesus, through faith and repentance, Lord God. So today we thank you, Lord God, and we're so grateful, Lord God, to be a people, Lord God, who you've redeemed, Lord God. And so, Father, as we've come to you in faith, Father, we pray for those today that may be listening, Lord God, that may hear this later on on the delay, that, that Father, that may not know you. We just pray that you just give them a revelation of yourself, just as you have given us that revelation. Lord God, just convict them of their sin. Lord God, convict them of righteousness and of judgment. And Lord God, just open their eyes. Just allow the, the influence of grace, Father, to stop them dead in their tracks so they can think clearly, Lord God, as to the, what the, the Spirit of God is speaking in this hour. So, Father, we come, Lord God, by that access and just ask you today to cleanse us, to purge us from all unrighteousness, Lord God. We don't want to be, say, or do anything contrary, Lord God, to, to, to who you are and who you are in us, Lord Jesus. So help us, Lord God, be followers of Christ Jesus and, and, and demonstrative, Lord God, of who you are. And so, Father, I ask right now in Jesus' name, Father, you to be in this time of study. Father, I pray for those that have been sick in body. Uh, Lord God, I thank you that you're still a healer. That your hand is not shortened, that you cannot heal, that you cannot deliver. And so, Father, we pray, as the Word of God says, if there's any sick among you, Lord God, it says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And so we pray in faith, Lord God, for those requests that have been coming in. Lord God, the people battling sickness and disease. And we, we're asking by the, the mercy of God, Father, for you to heal and to restore, that Jesus' name might be glorified. Father, those that are battling, Lord God, issues, maybe their children are in rebellion and they're just crying out, Lord God, for their souls and their salvation. Father, we pray that there would just be a, a, a revival, break loose in families, Lord God, and in neighborhoods and in schools. Lord God, that, that people would see that the day of the Lord is at hand, and they begin to turn, Lord God, in, in droves to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And Father, we just thank you in advance for those salvations, those testimonies that are coming forth. Father, just ask that you'd bless this word. Father, just give us an insight, an understanding, a revelation uh, that the Spirit of God would lead and guide us into all truth. Lord God, that you'd be in our midst. Father, I submit myself to you and just ask, Lord God, that I would be a, a profitable servant, Lord God, and a workable instrument in your hand. Father, nothing that needs to be said, don't let it be said, Lord God. But everything, Lord God, that you would desire to speak unto your people, Lord God, let it come forth. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, if you're joining us for the first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. It's a daily live uh, expository teaching in the Word of God. And we're in the book of the Unveiling, the Revelation. And we're gonna uh, we're on our 41st lesson. Once again, if you haven't been with us in the past, we make those available on our website, biggrace.com. I'm Pastor Troy Bond, and glad to have you and appreciate your time uh, coming with us. Again, if you have questions, raven at biggrace.com. Folks, you know, we're in the midst as I get a sip of that good juice here on the table, is we're in the midst of a discussion on this 11th chapter of the book of the Revelation, which takes place between the 6th and the 7th trumpet judgments that we've seen. And so this section that we're talking about, it's, it's really really providing us a lot of vivid details as to the happenings that are going to be going on during this tribulation hour, which is designed, remember, to bring Israel back into that covenant with God. And so we've looked at uh, a few things thus far. We'll kind of give you a, a recount of those. Number one is going to be the rebuilding of that Jewish temple. We saw that in, in chapter 11, verse 1. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting to me in light of this call back of that, that rightful measure we talked about. They measured it out. And, or they brought back the standard as described by taking the reed or the break from the, the River Jordan. Because really what's interesting to me is what that involves and entails. Folks, we look at something like that with our, our, our Gentile mentality, our westernized thought, and we can pass over something like just real quick. But if you'll think about that in regards to the implications of that, there's so many implications just in that first verse. And because in order for there to be the reestablishment of temple worship, there's also, also got to be some things happening to basically sanctify that process unto the Lord. And so what happens is, is number one, I'm going to give you a few things this morning that, that, that have to happen or have to take place in order for this whole process to, 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 to unfold in Israel during this time. Number one, there has got to be the discovery and the appointment of priests from the Levitical line. The discovery and the appointment of priests from the Levitical line. Uh, Numbers chapter 1, verse 50 says this. It says, But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle, and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it, and shall encamp around the tabernacle. Folks, the thing about it is, is, is there's only one group of people that God has given that assignment to to do that, and that's the Levites. It's not going to be people with good intentions. It's not going to be real spiritual people. It's just not going to be uh, uh, just somebody that adheres to the Jewish faith. He gave that, that principle, and he gave that measurement that they said they're going to bring back right there in verse 1 through that measuring of that reed uh, in, in Numbers 1 and 50. And so what's going to have to happen, and you know, you think about the, the records, the, the, the birth records the, the, that were destroyed at the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., uh, and, or the assumption that those records are destroyed, I guess you could say. And you think, well, how are they going to know who's Levites and who are not? You know, it, a couple of things can happen. Either, much like I believe the Ark of the Covenant and some of those, those instruments in, regarding the worship were taken and hidden away before the destruction, Possibly some of the records, maybe of just the Levites, were kept. And so they're going to be able to trace that lineage because I don't believe there's any way after what they've gone through and what they will have seen in this period is that they're going to just let anybody do these, these acts. And so what you're going to see is the, the, uh, uh, the, the reestablishment or the rediscovery, so to speak, of this Levitical line. And so that's the first thing that has to happen. And so let me let me address this real quick. We got somebody visiting with us. If you hold your questions until the end of the program, what ends up happening is you're asking questions not relative to uh, 
to the discussion. And so this isn't a debate hour. This is a, an expository teaching, and I just happen to be the, the teacher in this. If you have questions, we'll answer those things. You can send those to raven at biggrace.com. I'd love to answer those in detail. But what happens is when... When you begin to inflect, you it's fine. I accept your apology. What it does is distract people, and they're more concerned with what you're saying rather than what the Word of God is saying. And so, there's a time for that. This just isn't it right now. So, if you'll just hold off those discussions till the end, we'll do that for you. And so, once again, the things that have to bring into order is the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. There's going to have to be that discovery. The second thing is, is going to have to be the discovery or the return of the Ark of the Covenant. Deuteronomy 10:8. Deuteronomy 10:8 says this. It says, at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister unto him, and to bless uh, in his name unto, unto this day. And so, folks, listen, there's not going to be temple worship without the ark of the covenant. And that ark of the covenant, once again, Moses, according to the pattern of Exodus chapter 35, built this, this ark of the covenant under the specs. And not only just the specifications, but the contents of it were, were unique as well. Because once again, we mentioned that it had uh, Aaron's rod, the, the rod that budded. It had the, the tablets of the law, and it also had the golden bowl of manna. And so somewhere those things are, are housed, somewhere those things have been hidden away for the last nearly 2,000 years to be brought forth during this time. And can you imagine when, when those things are, are once again brought to the public eye? Can you imagine the response of, of Jews worldwide when they see this Ark of the Covenant that hasn't been witnessed in Israel since the, the, the fall of the, the last temple in 70 A.D.? You talk about just a, 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 a upsurge of, of faith and, and uh, remembrance of those things that's going to come to pass. And so it's going to be this huge spectacle that wherever it's at, it's going to be brought forth. So you're going to have to see the return of the Ark of the Covenant. third thing that you're going to have to see is the return of uh, particular articles needed for temple worship. Uh, one of which is the the red uh, the ashes from the red heifer. Why do I say that? Well, Numbers nineteen and two. Numbers nineteen and two. It says, "This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, without blemish, uh, and which was never had a yoke upon it." And so you're going to have to have this. Uh, the, this red heifer, which is a perfect breed that was specifically uh, uh, assigned to, uh, to for its ashes to be a part of this temple worship. So, folks, and that's just three of the things that are going to have to come together in order for there to be temple worship and sacrifice according to the pattern that God gave to Moses. And so the indication here is that these things will be followed to the letter during the first three and a half years of the tribulation before the temple is once again desecrated by the Antichrist at the midpoint. And so... There's some things that we can deduct from that are going to be really important as we see these events uh, unfold uh, through eschatology. Uh, and number one is there's probably preparations already being made in Israel to facilitate that. We can probably deduct that. There's probably things that are unknown, the, the actions, the decisions that they're, they're making, even with their attack right now, if you're listening to this here in January of 2009. The invasion into to Gaza, uh, the, the elections that are coming up, the possibility of Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu coming back into power, who is a, a very conservative, and his relationship with the Orthodox Jews. A lot of these things that are happening right now are happening, I believe, as, as a forerunner and a precursor to these events that have to come to pass. So those things are probably, probably already coming to pass. Uh, there are probably people in government right now that are readying for this event that's going to allow uh, for the destruction of the Dome of the Rock so that the temple can be built. 
And so I'm sure that plans, I'm sure that they're saying, okay, when we're able to, to, to move upon that Dome of the Rock, which is now obviously under Islamic control, uh, that they're thinking, okay, how are we going to be able to facilitate that? I, I would not doubt if the materials to build it. You, you think about this now with, with the temple having been built and taking so many years. Folks, it doesn't take that long to erect uh, an edifice to this day. You know, they, they did those things without the, uh, the, the ability to, uh, to build something uh, uh, with machinery and so, or cranes. And so what you're going to be able to see is a, a temple being built. I don't believe it's going to be as ornamental. I don't believe that's going to be their concern. I believe their concern is let's get a facility there. It could be a, a, a building that's literally airlifted through Chinook helicopters and set down on the place that's already been built. I mean, that type of thing is, is uh, we have the ability to do that with our technology and construction uh, 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 technologies to this day. So I believe that they're saying, okay, as soon as that land is clear, we're going to be able to move in and have something established in a short amount of time. And I believe that right now, uh, things we see are part of this complete strategic plan. And so uh, that's that's the, the first part of that, the things that can be ducted. And so the second thing, you know, that's the whole part of the uh, the temple worship. The second thing that we've seen here in chapter 11 is we've seen the, these introduction of the two witnesses, which I believe we talked about it in detail, that they are uh, Elijah and Moses. And, you know, I was thinking about uh, the kind of the power that was given to these men. And, you know, these are not just going to be couple of ordinary uh, Bible thumpers out there with a handful of gospel tracts hoping that somebody's going to listen. They're, they're not going to be a guy with a sign out there saying uh, the end is near with a sandwich board and a long white beard. That's not going to be it. I mean, you talk about some, some men, obviously, who have been in days of old, they're going to be ushered right back onto planet Earth uh, from heaven where they've been residing for this period of time. And they're going to be in possession of an enormous amount of power. And, you know, think about some of the power that's given to them, calling down fire from heaven. I mean, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Uh, stopping the rain, you know, for the period of three and a half years. Bringing about plagues or, or being basically untouchable. It says nobody's going to be able to touch them. They're going to be able to, 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 to turn back all of their adversaries. And undoubtedly, and we talked about this yesterday, you know, they're going to be blamed for all the calamity and the judgments that are coming upon the world. And so as a result, can you imagine the, the, the attempted hits upon their life that are going to come, become failure? I, I think about a story that I read in a history book years ago concerning, uh, uh, when uh, George Washington, before he was the president, he was just a general. And they were out uh, during the uh, American, Re I guess the American Revolution. And uh, they were attacking and fighting with Indians. And there was an Indian chief that had come to Washington years later after the, the, the peace had come. And uh, he spoke about George Washington. He said, you know what? He said, I, on three different occasions, he said, I had George Washington in my crosshairs. And he said, I fired upon him. And he said, I actually saw the, the hole appear in his, uh, his overcoat, top coat. But he said he was unfazed. And he said, I know I shot him at least three times, but supernaturally the bullet was not able to penetrate George Washington. And George Washington uh, confirmed it. He said, you know what, my coat, he said, I didn't know how the bullet holes were in it. He said, but I'd never been shot on a battlefield. And I believe that was supernatural. Here's a man that, that, that was used as one of the founding fathers of this nation, that God supernaturally protected him. And that's just one instance in his life. But, you know, what's interesting that these men are going to have that type of supernatural protection upon them. And for me, what's interesting is you think about in contemporary times right now, is there's such an interest in superheroes, 
and supervillains. You know, Hollywood right now is their, their blockbuster films are, are are and the culture is really being shaped by the X Men, and you have a next new X Men movie coming out all the time, or Spider Man one, two, and three, and and Superman. You know, he's he's got new movies out, and I believe there's a television series along those lines, and and Batman, and and all, and, and not only the, the superheroes, but the the supervillains are so popular as well. And so kids today are not like when we were kids. You know, we ran around just like cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. They're running around and they sell these children. I, you know, my grandson sleeps in a, in a Spider-Man outfit most nights or a, or a Batman outfit, I should say. And so the, they'd rather have their super uh, favorite superhero. And so think about when these guys show up. People are going to think that the, the superhero Doomsday has come down from the planet Krypton to, to bring destruction upon the planet. Except, folks, these guys will not end their message of judgment at the end of a two-hour cinematic feature. But it's going to go on for three and a half years that people are going to begin to watch these things. And so uh, that's that's the second thing. You're going to see the introduction of these two witnesses. And so with that, uh, we've also seen that the message of these men being preached, and it's going to be the timeless message of repentance. Now, folks, I want to bring this to bear for you right quick. 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And leaves no regret. But check out the second part of that verse. But worldly sorrow brings death. I'm going to read that to you again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Folks, the message that these men are going to be bringing is a message really that's designed to get man to see their sins and to turn to the righteousness of God. But when rejected because of the sorrow being worldly or consequentially... It instead produces death in folks' lives. And so what you see is a lot of that right here today. And, you know, with, with quote-unquote Christian people or people that attend to church or go to church, you know, when in a bad situation that, that really makes their, their, their circumstance or their life or their situation difficult, they start going to church. They cry a little bit. They want to reconcile with their family. They say, I'm sorry. You know, they may temporarily give up on a bad relationship. They'll lay down the cigarettes. They'll lay down the booze. They'll lay down the, the drugs. But when that worldly sorrow begins to fade and there's a changing or an improvement in their circumstance, what do they end up doing? They revert right back to the same pattern of thinking that, that preceded their false conversion. Folks, listen, when, when godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, there is no regret. There's no regret that says, listen, I, I, man, I'm leaving behind my friends. There's no regret that's saying I'm leaving behind my fun. There's no regret that's saying I'm leaving behind that job. There's no regret that's saying I'm leaving behind that boyfriend or that girlfriend or, or whatever that situation was that, that brought me so much uh, joy in the natural. And so when, when godly sorrow brings you to repentance, the way that you think is going to be diametrically different than the way that you thought previous to coming to repentance. But when my worldly sorrow is strictly predicated upon my circumstance, folks, what it does, as soon as my circumstance again changes, what ends up happening? I revert back and I return right back to where I was. And so, you know, I want you to remember this, folks, and write this down. This, this, I hope this says something to you. Salvation is our response to righteousness, not our reaction to sin. Salvation is our response to righteousness, not our reaction to sin. And so I shouldn't just go to church because I feel bad or I feel guilty. I should serve God and as a result get in fellowship 
because I love righteousness more than I love sin. The problem is, is people right now love sin more than righteousness. The scripture prophesies in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says they'll be lovers of, uh, of pleasure more than lovers of God. They'll love uh, sin more than they'll love righteousness or they'll love God. And so, uh, you know, Melanie right now is discipling our 11-year-old granddaughter. And she started coming over the house. She comes over on Wednesdays and she spends a couple of hours uh, just to be taught the Word of God. And so yesterday, she and Mel were, were right here uh, at where I'm doing this broadcast from. And they were had a conversation going on about joy and happiness. And, and our granddaughter basically had always basically equated joy with happiness. And she's like, you know, when I don't get to, to do what I want to do or I don't get to be with the friends that I want to be, I don't, I don't have any joy. And so uh, Mel basically had to explain to her that your joy is not the same as your happiness. That happiness is typically associated with basically your temporal situations. What you can get, what brings satisfaction, what you can do right now. But joy has as its base the eternal things that God has for us. And so the message basically that these two witnesses is going to bring forth is, is not one that could or would be preached in, in most of America's most successful churches today because it's not going to promise you your best life now. They're not going to stand up and say, listen, oh, hear ye, hear ye, O men of Jerusalem, and, and all that you uh, would, 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 would hear our voices today through, through satellite television, hearken unto my voice that I'm fixing to give you six steps to success or I'm going to provide you with a plan plan for your best life now or to how to write your own uh, uh, ticket with God. Basically, these men are going to are going to say, uh, repent, turn from your wicked ways, because today your soul will probably be required of you. That's going to be the message. So it's not going to be a message that's going to be neatly uh, formatted and formulated into a, a six tape series and, and sold in the, uh, the marketplace of, of the New Jerusalem. This is a message that they're going to speak forth with authority that's either going to speak, uh, bring forth a godly sorrow that leads to repentance with no regrets or it's going to have people saying, well, listen, I may need to listen to them for a minute and, and hopefully if I, I run with them that my circumstances is, is going to change. You say, why would people do that? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago before I was actually even a pastor, I was a counselor at a big event in Texas, where I lived at the time, that was sponsored by the church that I was involved with at the time. Church was about 3,000. And so they had this big event at the local civic center or convention center, and uh, they were targeting young people. They were targeting high school age. And so thousands, literally, there was probably six to 7,000 young people. They'd gone into the high schools and presented kind of a, a generic presentation on drugs or whatever else. They invited all these young people to come out on this Friday for what was going to be an evangelistic message. And so the, uh, the, 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 the speaker got up there and he, he shared the message and, and uh, they had invited them all said, come out and we're going to have a message and we're going to have this gigantic pizza party afterwards. So bring all of your friends. And certainly they brought all their friends. And so I was one of the counselors that were assigned to talk to these young people that came forward. So surely the, the guy brought the, the message out and had the altar call. And probably at least half of those young people came forward. People began to applaud. Praise God, praise God, praise God. So they brought them all forward. We counselors went into an adjoining uh, auditorium where those that, quote unquote, came up and made the prayer uh, were to meet us. And so we went back there and readied. And so they came back and we were talking to, to four or five kids at the time because of the tremendous numbers. I thought what was interesting when I talked to them, I began to share with them, listen, here's what it means. Here's what it means to be saved. You've got to, you've got to turn away from your old life. You've got to follow Christ. You, you, if you're if you're involved in a, in a sexual immorality, you got to stop those things. If you're if you're walking in compromise, you got to stop those things. I talked to many kids that night. You know what every one of them told me? Well, I didn't know I had to do that. I just figured if I came forward, we'd get in line for the pizza first. That's exactly what they told me. 
Folks, listen, the, the message of the gospel has been diluted down to, to such a thing that people think that getting saved is just the, the fastest route to the pizza buffet. Folks, that's, it's not the fastest route to the pizza buffet. It's not the fastest route to, 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 to fill in your pockets with, with money. It's not the, the, the fastest route to getting that promotion at, at work. It's the fastest route to dying to yourself. And I've said many times, God does not have a wonderful plan for your life. God has got a wonderful plan for your death. Because this life right here, folks, is like a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. This life is not what I live for. The life thereafter is what we're going to live for. And that's going to be the central theme of the message that these men preach. Because those that, that, that hear this message, you know, you think these men are being persecuted. These men are being persecuted and targeted, yet they're untouchable. Now, the people that are going to, going to take that message and repent and come to Christ, you know what? They're going to be the victims of this angry mob that's going to take out their frustrations on these two men that God has put this barrier up for this period of time, and they're going to martyr them. There's those tribulation saints that are going to come out of the, of the tribulation. They're going to hear that message. It's going to be a message that requires a denying of their self right then and there. And so, at the end of their assignment, we talked about this well, uh, it says that, and it's, let me read it to you, uh, and it says, I will give power unto my two witnesses in verse 3, and they will prophesy uh, for three and a half years, 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. There's that message of repentance. And these two are like the olive trees. Olive uh, speaks of the oil. They're going to have the anointing upon them. Uh, and two candlesticks, that's the testimony. They're going to have a testimony coupled with a powerful anointing standing before uh, the God of the earth, uh, which is... Satan, he's the God of this world who's bewitched and he's deceived the nations. And it says, if any man will hurt them, they have fire that proceeds out of their mouths and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must also be killed in this uh, manner. And he says, they will have power to shut heaven. It will rain for these days of their prophecy. And they will have power over waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. There's those four plagues that are repeated from the plagues that were upon Egypt. And when they will have finished... Their testimony. If you're, if you're making notes in your Bible, underline, finish their testimony. Highlight, finish their testimony. It's not going to happen, what I'm fixing to say, until they have finished their testimony. That the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So, folks, here's the deal. Notice that, that it was not until God allowed these men uh, to be killed that they were killed. Period. And so it's much like when, uh, when Satan went to inquire of God and God said, have you considered my, my servant Job? And he said, well, I can't touch Job. He's just, he's protected. And so what happened? Temporarily, God removed that restraint and allowed him to be persecuted, allowed things to happen to him. Obviously, God, which was, Job was really a type of these two witnesses that were able to go through this persecution and were able, Job just had those things returned. And we're going to see these two witnesses are raised up again as well. And it's also a type of the church that we have that supernatural ability. But in this world, we face tribulations. But do not fear why, because he has overcome the world. And so it was not uh, until they were uh, the, the adversary was given a permission that they were able to get uh, were able to be killed. And so, folks, let me say this as well to you and I. When we are walking in the directive or that plan or that destiny that God has for us under full obedience, mind you, then we're also enjoying a supernatural protection and provision basically to accomplish all the tasks that God has associated with our assignment. Now, folks, if you go off on some tangent and you say, well, God, I'm going to go do this and you need to bless me, you might find yourself cut down short of your life. 
if you do not are not mindful of uh, of taking care of yourself, or you're not mindful of of being obedient to the Spirit of God, and you certainly can uh, through your own free will, you can circumvent the uh, the plan of God and cut short the assignment that God has for you. But I believe that when we walk in obedience to what God has, that we'll be like a Caleb that says, "Listen, I may be over 80 years old, but I'm still well able to go up and possess my mountain." It's not going to be defined by your circumstance, by your lack of finances. It's not going to be uh, defined by uh, where you find yourself living or whatever it may be. What it's going to be defined at is your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to see a protection. It's not going to matter if you're standing flat-footed in front of gang members or on Bourbon Street or in the midst of a housing project uh, surrounded by uh, people of, uh, of less than noble reputations. What you're going to do is you're going to see yourself walking in the power and authority of God. I've seen it myself. I stand as a testimony. I've stood and preached to uh, to, to, to radical Islamic people in in, uh, in uh, the Netherlands, right there in, in Amsterdam in the red light district. I've I've stood out in the middle of 25,000 people in Skid Row, and I've seen that those type of things happening. And so, when you're walking in your assignment, there is a, a blessing and a provision of protection for you until it's finished then what's going to happen you know anything can happen at that point but to be absent from the body would be in the, the presence of the lord you know i think about and as we look at the kind of the apostles you know they faced a, a enormous persecution uh people tried to kill them and let's let's even back up before them let's look at jesus when people tried to lay hands on him it says many times he just walked right through the crowd it's just like delusion was sent upon them. They couldn't even see him. You know, it was just like he just was not even there. He walked through. They couldn't lay a hand on him until it came time for his crucifixion. Even when they came to the to the garden, you know, Peter wanted to defend him. He said, "Listen, Peter, back off. It's it's not time yet. There's going to be a time where this is going to happen." So, Jesus Himself, nobody took His life. He laid it down. And so it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that's going to enable us to do everything uh, until the day our assignment's over, as long as we walk in agreement and faithfulness to that. So, how do you know what that is? You pray, you seek the face of God, you walk in obedience and consecration unto Him. So, look at the apostles again. I think about the the enormous things they faced. Thrown into prison, people wanting to to, to beat them, kill them, all those things. But they continued their task up to the point that when it was completed, and then they, and only then, folks were able to offer their uh, and lay their, their lives down. But what happened, even in the process of laying their life down, it served as the testimony that brought other people to Christ. I think about what the Word tells us. It says, unless that, that kernel of corn falls to the ground and dies, it dies being alone. But out of death, folks, God is able to bring forth light. Just like one seed goes into the ground and produces a tree, so once the obedient servant's life is planted into the ground, it has the ability to be a testimony. Think about we read the Word. Think about we read the words of Paul the Apostle or, or Peter or, or the words of Elijah. What happens? That was a seed that has fallen into the ground that is now bringing forth much fruit in our lives as we stand as a testimony that their words given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has impacted our lives as well. Think about this for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. Paul the Apostle is speaking to the church at Corinth, basically just talking about his circumstance. And he says, I was in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in deaths more often. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you're going to boast about what you've been through, let me tell you what I've been through. And he says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. He said, three times I was beaten with rods. He said, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was in, have been in the deep. In other words, I was floating out in the water. He said, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. 
in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides other things, what comes upon me daily, he said, my, uh, my deep concern for all the churches. In other words, he said, you listen, I went through all that stuff. He said, my concern is for the church. I've got an assignment. And so I don't have to worry about that. He said the ship could go down, the, the, the plane could crash, but you know what? I'm going to walk out uh, as long as I'm walking in obedience to the assignment that God has for me. And so my encouragement to you is make sure that you're walking in obedience to God's assignment for your life. So those are the kind of the, the three things that we've covered thus far. And now I want us to, to go into this next section and really talking about the, uh, the death of these, these witnesses just a little bit. And it says in verse 7, it says, And when they had, I'm going to read 7 through 10, And when they had finished their testimony, the beast uh, that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and they will overcome them and kill them. Now, look at this. Now, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. Now, you're saying, well, man, what's he doing there? I didn't think he was going to be bound there. What this is is a foreshadowing. This isn't talking about where he's coming from. This is talking about at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, after Satan is going to be bound, and we'll get into that in some in future chapters and discussions, that this is the beast that's going to be released from the bottomless pit. So the same one that's going to come back and try the nations later, Satan, is going to be this beast that's going to sin, is going to make war against them, and will overcome them and kill them. And so this one that's been held back for all this time, is suddenly he's going to have the opportunity to kill them, and that's exactly what is going to happen. And it says, And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people of the kindreds and tongues of the nations shall see their bodies three and a half days, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the grave. And all that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, them those two guys that were killed, and make merry, and shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt upon the earth. And so, when they finish their testimony, so they're going to have this testimony for three and a half years, 1260 days, times, times, and half times. And at the end of that season, basically at the end of their openly proclaiming it, uh, the beast that ascends, that one that's going to be bound in the bottomless pit, that we're going to see and that's going to be released in Revelation 20 and uh, 1 and 7, uh, he's going to have the ability to kill them. So, this beast is that, that, that really an incarnation or a possession of this individual uh, by Satan himself. Folks, think about this. People talk about people being possessed by the devil. There's only one devil. There's many, many thousands probably of demons, but there's only one Satan. There's only one Lucifer who became Satan when he was cast down from heaven. And myself, I don't know if he's ever probably produced anybody. He may have uh, produced the, the, uh, possessed a, uh, an Adolf Hitler or, or someone of that nature. But uh, when people say they're possessed by a devil, it's a, it's a demon spirit that comes upon them. This individual right here is going to be reserved for possession. He's, uh, he's going to be influenced for this period of time, for three and a half years. But at the end of this testimony of these two witnesses, this, this Antichrist is going to come under the full-blown possession of Satan himself. And at the, at the end of that period, what's he going to do? He's going to have the, the ability to kill them. And what he's going to do then, he's going to put their, uh, their dead bodies on display. Now, think about that. That's exactly what they did with Jesus when they put him on Golgotha's hill right there at the place of the skull. And they put him on public display right there for everybody to see. And so what he's going to say is, yeah, they tormented, but, but I, I, can, I can just hear his dialogue right now. But look, I was able to overcome them. And so people are going to begin to rejoice. They're going to begin to make merry, it says. They're going to send gifts to one another. They're going to, they're going to 
party in the streets. They're going to say, finally, they're gone. And you know what? The Antichrist is going to take uh, uh, take credit for it. But, once again, uh, he's not going to be the one that takes their life. He's not the one that holds the keys to life and death. The only reason that he was going to be able to do that is because these men will have laid their lives down. And so they're going to be upon, literally, the on display. It's kind of like a passion play that's going to be played out upon the world stage. Then he talks about right there, it says, uh, they're going to be put upon that place three and a half days. Uh, back up a verse. And it says, uh, in verse 9, it says, And the bodies of, of the people and kindreds, tongues, and nations, excuse me, and they of the people, tongues, and, uh, and nations will put these men three and a half days and shall suffer their dead bodies. Uh, one more verse. Let me back up one. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Uh, wherein also Jesus was crucified. Where is that? That's Jerusalem. And so you ask yourself the question, why is it called Sodom and Egypt? Because it's obviously not Sodom or Egypt. Well, what it's talking about is how far the Jerusalem by this point has denigrated to be reflective of this type of wickedness, uh, the, the blatant uh, homosexuality, uh, the blatant uh, idolatry that's associated with, with Egypt. All of those things that the Scripture looks at as the most of greatest abominations are going to uh, infiltrate the city. And you think about it now, because you can go, and I've never personally been to, the, to Jerusalem and don't really have a desire to go until it's the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. And uh, you know, But I know many people have gone, and they say, you know, even Jerusalem right now, because it is, quote-unquote, called a, a holy city uh, for not just the Christians, uh, not just the Jews, but also the Islamic faith. They said there's kind of an awe and aura about that place that you that, that people kind of have that that spiritual mentality. Folks, all that's going to be thrown out the window once these two witnesses are are are, are, are preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. This is going to be a place that's probably filled with total debauchery. All those Christian tours that have been going there for years and, and people uh, leading their church group there and walking where Jesus walked and, and going and seeing the tomb. Folks, that's not going to be happening anymore. Those places are going to be converted over to, to sex shops and, and, and everything under the sun because that city is likened unto spiritual Sodom and spiritual Jerusalem. So that great city there is Jerusalem. And then it says... And uh, their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, spiritually called Sodom and, Gr- Gr- uh, uh, Sodom, and, uh, Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And so they're going to see it. You know, you think about 2,000 years ago when that was written, the idea of everybody from all over the earth being able to see what was happening was totally impossible. And so, you know, today we talked about it with the Internet, satellite television, radio, camera phones. All these things are going to be able to be uh, basically piped into anybody's home at that point. And so for three and a half days, uh, the world's going to have time to make sure that these guys are dead. And so I'm sure their bodies are going to be desecrated. People are going to spit upon them. People are going to throw things at these, their dead bodies. And the earth is going to be totally savoring and celebrating the, the death of these men that brought judgment that they thought upon the earth through their testimony. And so the, their death and ministry is, like I said, it's kind of a passion play that's going to unfold. And so uh, they are the, and were the living witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are going to be that demonstration of his power and his, uh, the, the faithfulness of his ministry. I want to give you another chart. I've been giving you some charts here lately. And Deb always uh, gets a little squeamish when I do this because I say it real fast. And she's like, let me keep up with it. I want to give you a couple of parallels between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the witnesses and kind of how it unfolded. And so you can see this pattern. And I, here's what I want you to learn through this. And I, I've told you this many times. is I want you to see how all these truths are constantly repeated through Scripture. 
We'll get these types and shadows, and what God is doing is He's trying to assimilate us into a, a way of thinking. And, and with the tabernacle, He's showing us a picture of Jesus. With the the, the the brazen altar, He's showing us the picture of the cross. All these things with the the, the bronze laver, He's showing us repentance through faith and the, the mercy of God and His grace being that that water and the washing, the regeneration of the Word. And so you also see these these witnesses were 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 foreshadowed by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I'm going to give you a column for Jesus and column for the witnesses, and I'm going to give you one, two, three. Three, four, five, six, seven similarities that you're going to see. So, under Jesus' as ministry, Jesus' ministry lasted just over three years, three, three and a half years. How long was the testimony of the witness? 1260 days, three and a half years, right? Jesus was publicly executed where? Right there in Jerusalem. The witnesses publicly executed right there in, in, in Jerusalem. Jesus did public miracles. His involved basically healing. They did public miracles. The witnesses will. Those are going to involve judgment. What was the public reaction to the verdict when it was put down that Jesus would be crucified? It was cheering and celebration. What's going to be the, uh, the, the, the reaction, the public reaction to the verdict when these two uh, uh, witnesses are crucified or, 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 or killed right there in the streets? Worldwide public celebration. Jesus was in the grave three days and nights. These men are going to be dead for three and a half days. Jesus' resurrection took place after the third day. These men's resurrection happened after three and a half days. Jesus was raptured or taken up, and he ascended up from Jerusalem. These men, too, are going to be raptured or taken up, and they're going to ascend from Jerusalem. So you see the parallel, even in the life of Jesus, as that witness. And so, here's what's interesting to me about that. Jesus came to fulfill for us in the age of grace, what? The law and the prophets. These men come back as what? The law and the prophets speaking a message that was fulfilled through the testimony of Jesus. And so Jesus came and, 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 and brought that message that they didn't want to receive. So now what's happening? He's sending back the original law and the prophets who are not just preaching the foreshadowing or something that's going to happen, but they're going to come back with the testimony of Jesus. And they're going to say, listen, He came in mercy. He came in forgiveness. He came in restoration. He came in grace. But now what you're going to get is the consequences of the, the law and the prophets apart from the mercy and the grace of God in, in Christ Jesus. And so they're going to come back as the embodiment and as the, the, the personification of the law and the prophets and the judgment and the wrath of God upon a world that has rejected that, the, the, the sacrifice and the one that would stand in the gap for them. And so they're going to hear that message that is, is synonymous uh, with basically the message that Jesus brought in that age of grace. And it says that in uh, the people and all kindreds and nations and the body uh, are gonna, not going to put their uh, lay, uh, land to be put in the graves and that all that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. And so, folks, think about this for just a second. At this point, half of the world's population is dead. Half of the world's population is dead. And so we've, we've buried and burned over three billion people at this point. And so... These witnesses are going to be the ones that were, were blamed for that. So you, can you imagine what the kind of the reports that are going back 
when they can't touch these witnesses, they're saying, we need to bring these before a war tribunal. They're, they're committing these atrocities against the world and wanting to bring them up on, on charges. Listen, they're responsible for the death of over 3 billion people. And so they're going to probably liken them to, to the Holocaust. They're going to say, these men are the, responsible for the new Holocaust. Something's, there's, they're Jews, and they, 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 the Jews have talked about the Hitler's Holocaust and killed 6 uh, uh, million Jews. But look at this, 3 billion people are dying as a result of their testimony. Folks, that type of uh, that type of rhetoric is what's going to be synonymous with this, and so all that dwell on the earth are going to be uh, uh, rejoicing over this. And so their death is they they think is the cause of all these things, but their death, I mean, their life is the cause of all these things. But the death is going to be cause for celebration. And so when confronted, folks, by sin, if you think about it, so many times, what people are do, going to do is they're going to become angry with the one bringing the light. How many times have you been responsible, you guys that witness or talk to someone, that when you begin to turn the light on? They don't get mad at the sin that the enemy has brought in their life. They get mad at you for turning on the light, for exposing their sin. And you'll see that in John 3, 20 and 21, that this is the condemnation, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so these men, being the, 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 the olive uh, oil upon the candlestick, they became a bright light to the nations, and the nations hated them because they exposed all of their sin. And it says that these two prophets then are going to be Tormented, they're going to be, uh, uh, they're going to make war, and because these two men tormented them that were on the earth, and because these guys were the spokespersons uh, for God's wrath, that the people uh, were forced basically to choose or reject Christ at this time. So, eleven. Let me read eleven, twelve, and thirteen. And uh, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered unto them again, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell upon all. We saw. Now, folks, I, I think of that. And I'm just, you know, I'm just getting a picture of the response of this, the multitudes. They may be in the, the middle of a broadcast. You may have one of these CNN uh, uh, liberal announcers talking about, listen, these bodies are rotting in the, in, the, in the streets. And all of a sudden, the light comes upon them, and their flesh uh, becomes whole again, and they rise up. Can you imagine the pandemonium that's going to break loose when these guys uh, uh, rise up? After three and a half days, the Spirit of God comes back upon them. And fear is literally going to fall upon all that sin. I bet the people are going to think to themselves, uh-oh, it's going to start all over again. We're going to have even worse judgment because of what we did for them. And you know people are going to be standing there thinking, see, we showed you. We showed you. We told you. And these guys are going to be like that boxer that rises off the, off the canvas that knocks out his opponent in the, the end of the, the 12th round. And it says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Now, what does that remind you of? That reminds me of a couple of things. That reminds me of Acts chapter 1, when it says that the disciples were all standing, gathered around, talking to Jesus, and it says he ascended up into heaven in a cloud. Reminds me of that, but it also reminds me of Revelation 4.1. That I, I, you know, I heard a voice uh, from heaven saying, Come up here, and I'll show you things as much shortly come to pass. And immediately it says that he was caught up. That's going to be the exact... This is, a, this is a, the, another example of that, that rapturing, of that taking up or that calling out that we've seen. So... That at that moment of time, they're going to come to rise up. Fear is going to come upon everyone, and they're going to be uh, taken up. And so resurrected after three and a half days, once again in full view of the entire earth. Everybody's going to hear it. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to witness it. And they're going to see and understand that these men were just not mere men. These were men sent of God with a message. And so, once again, don't forget, this is part of that whole pause between the sixth and seventh trumpets. And so, the, basically, the earth is, is given these witnesses of Jesus Christ, and they're caught up just like the saints were before the tribulation. 
period began. And so it says they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up. And that loud voice is that same voice that, that calls us up. But you know what it reminds me of, too? It's also like the, the, the same voice that, uh, that called out Lazarus from the grave. Yeah. Think about Lazarus. Well, he called him out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And so they're going to hear, the world is going to hear the voice of God calling people out. Can you imagine that just for a second? It's going to be that voice that calls them up. And so the, 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 they're going to be uh, just like the saints of old, that the graves were open. It tells us in the letter to the Thessalonians, boom, they're going to hear that voice and they're going to be caught up and every eye is going to see them. Let me give you another kind of comparison between them. Here's another chart to write out, Deb. This is going to have a list of the two spies versus the two witnesses. Two spies. Let me give you another, some similarities. You see kind of a foreshadowing here. Two spies were sent out to spy out the land by Joshua. Joshua 2.1. Two witnesses were sent by Jesus. Revelation 11.3. Two spies were sent from the camp of Israel. Joshua 2.1. The two witnesses were sent from heaven. Revelation 11.4 The two spies returned to the camp of Israel. The two witnesses returned to heaven. The duration of the mission for the two spies was a little over three days. Three plus days. That's Joshua 2.16. The duration of the witnesses was three and a half years. Revelation 11.3 The location of the mission for the two spies was Jericho, Joshua 2.1. Two witnesses, it was Jerusalem, Revelation 11.8. The two spies were protected by Rahab. Two witnesses protected by God. The enemy of the two spies was the king of Jericho, Joshua 2.3. The enemy of the two witnesses was the Antichrist, Revelation 11.7. The two spies return with Joshua and the armies of Israel to Rahab's house. Joshua 6.23 The two witnesses will return with heaven. We return with Christ from heaven with the armies in Revelation 19.14. And so folks, what he always does, I bring that into play because of the two spies were the forerunners to the tearing down of the walls around Jerusalem is that first battle, that first great victory that they had after coming to the promised land. And you see, once again, the, the, the trumpets involved in the battle of Jericho versus the trumpets involved with the two witnesses. So you see all those similarities uh, are there as well. And so they're, they're, they're all their enemies are going to see them. Their, their resurrection is going to be a public. And uh, it's that, once again, I believe is going to be another opportunity for salvation to come up on the world. Because some people are going to repent because of godly sorrow, while some are going to say, hey, we're just real sorry because we got caught and we're afraid. But think about, I think about the, what the Word tells us in Jude. We talked about Jude in relationship to Enoch yesterday. We talked about Jude in relationship to Moses as well, about when uh, uh, Satan was trying to contend for the body with Michael. And it also says, though, some having compassion making a difference, which is the age of grace that's here for us. And it says, others saved with fear 
It says pulling them out of the fire. It says that they're going to hate their garments and be spotted by the flesh. And so I believe in this age of grace that we literally have that some having compassion. Jesus uh, looked at the multitudes in, 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 in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and he was moved with compassion upon them. Folks, listen, right now we have the opportunity in the age of compassion. What's going to happen there is going to be the age of fear. Great fear is going to fall upon the, the earth. So they're either going to have a fear of their circumstance, which is going to lead to death, or they're going to have the fear of the Lord, which is going to lead to life and their ultimate resurrection. So uh, I want to touch on one more thing real quick, and I'm going to have to close out because we're running out of time. And it says, and they heard that voice from heaven saying, come up here, and they ascended into the heavenly cloud. And it says that same hour, in verse 13, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part, one-tenth of that city was destroyed. It fell. And the earthquake were it were that killed 7,000 people, and the remnant were afraid, obviously. And they gave glory to the God of heaven. And so we're going to stop right there. Think about this, folks. That earthquake's going to fall, uh, going to happen right there at the, the, the resurrection of these two witnesses. Now, remember what happened when Jesus died? When it says he gave up the ghost? What happened? There was an earthquake. And so you see the similarities right there as well. When Jesus, when he gave up his spirit, an earthquake happened. When these men were resurrected into heaven, an earthquake happened. This earthquake, though, is going to destroy a tenth part Literally, a tenth part of the city of Jerusalem, as well as 7,000. Look at the gave that specific numbers. Well, 7,000 people are going to be destroyed by that earthquake. Chances are these may be the people that were the great tormentors. These are the people that rejected the message. These were the people that were crying for his head. And so we're going to finish right there. Tomorrow we're going to jump into uh, verse 14. I'll just read verse 14 uh, to you. And it says, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe comes very quickly. Folks, listen, I want to say this as I've been saying every day. If you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't want to wait till this hour to get a second chance. Because I tell you what, if you keep putting it off, your heart's going to continue to be hardened. You'll continue to reject the, the truth of God's word and his sweet salvation. You don't want to have to be the one that gets saved out of fear, as Jude says. But you want to come to Christ Jesus now in an hour of compassion. And he said if you'll call upon him... You'll be saved. If you want more information on that, email me. I'm Pastor Troy, raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com, Pastor Troy. I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, I don't have a magical prayer for you. Your salvation is not going to be from joining the church or an organization. It's going to be from joining yourself in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and then being a part of the body of Christ, whether that's a church or an organization that's going to teach you the Word of God without compromise. Folks, we're totally out of time today. If you're with us live, we won't be back here tomorrow because I'll be out of town. Or Monday, we'll be back Tuesday in our continuation of our study in the book of the Revelation. But i got one bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.